0: Passage that he will be speaking from, which is Matthew 2 uh, verses 1 to 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Lord, we just pray for Shelby now as he brings your word to us. Father, we pray that you will give him fluency of speech, that you will give him clarity Of thought, Father, we just pray that your spirit will just reveal to each one of us what we need to hear this morning from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Barbara. Yes. Ah. I hope everybody's having a good morning. Uh, Again, hi to everybody um, who is watching online. Um, Today, we are continuing to really in our anticipation of Christmas. And we're looking at what's probably a familiar story to most of us, right? The arrival of the wise men, the arrival of the magi. And there's actually a lot of tradition and legends and myths that are kind of surround these guys. Like, there's an obvious tradition that's been passed down in that these were uh, three kings of Orient are, right, as the song goes. Um, this, mostly, this idea of three kings mostly comes from the fact that they bring three gifts. Yet in my studies, I found out there's something really interesting about that third wise man. Because did you know this, it's a little known fact, the third wise man, before he became a wise man, was actually a salesman. You see, the first king showed up, the first wise man showed up and offered gold. Then the second one showed up and offered frankincense, but the third one showed up and said, wait, there's myrrh. In all seriousness, there's actually a lot of mystery that does surround these guys. Like, where did they come from? Um, Who were they exactly? How did they know to come to Jerusalem? How did they, like, why did they bring those specific gifts and While those are all really good questions, and in fact, I spent a lot of time this week trying to see if I could find answers to them, I realized that none of those questions were the questions we should be asking. The question that we should be asking is, well, why is this story in the Bible? And it's when I started to think about, well, why did Matthew decide to put this story in his gospel that I started to see some interesting things? Because one thing you need to remember as we talk through this is that Matthew, each of the Gospels is written with a little bit, with a different goal in mind. And Matthew's goal was to write to a Jewish audience to show them that Jesus was the Messiah they were waiting for. So Matthew puts in his Gospel a lot of signs to show us that just who Jesus is if you're paying attention. And Matthew uses this story specifically about some wise men to show us three big signs. He shows us that Jesus is the new Abraham, the new Moses, and our true high priest. So let's again, let's look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, like I said, there's a lot of mystery that surrounds these wise men, but there's actually one thing that I can say with um, a, lot of, a lot of confidence is that they're probably, they probably weren't kings. Um, that word for wise men is the Greek word magus, which is where we get magi from, um, which is why often they're called the magi. The, the magi. Um, and that magi, that word there, Um, It can be used in a couple different ways. It can be used to describe magicians, like it's used in Acts 13 when Paul and Barnabas are in Cyprus and they confront this guy named Bar-Jesus, who is a magician trying to oppose them. Um, In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's used uh, to describe the astrologers or the wise men that advise the different kings of Babylon in the book of Daniel. All this is to say that these guys while they might not have been kings, were probably very highly esteemed in their country of origin. And in fact, because they were paying attention to stars, they probably fit into that astrologer uh, category of magi. So these guys see a star, and they come to Jerusalem. And that has always stood out to me, because I often wondered, how did these guys know that that star meant to go to Jerusalem or come to Israel specifically. Like, how did they know to travel over field and fountain and moor and mountain to come to this place? It could, be said, it could be that the star itself guided them directly. Maybe it moved and they just followed it. Um, that's one possibility. There's a, another commentator said this, that um, he thought that maybe Daniel actually passed down some kind of tradition and that that was handed down through the generations, and that's where these guys get the idea, oh, we need to go to Israel. Um, It could be that, and actually this is what, in my studies, what I think might have happened, is that they were just really well-versed in other cultural traditions and prophecies from other nations, and so when they saw the star, they recognized it as something as Jewish in origin. And I say that, because as I studied about this stuff, I've discovered that there actually was a very common Jewish tradition, a very common Jewish uh, common belief that they held that's not in our Bibles. Now, real quick, uh, whenever we talk about things that come from outside the Bible, we can't hold them at the same authority level as the Bible. But often they can be very helpful at us, under, help us at understanding the culture or maybe why the biblical authors wrote the way they did. Like, a quick example of this would be that Jude, the book of Jude, quotes uh, this thing called the book of Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch, obviously, is not in the Bible, and Jude actually isn't the only person to reference in the New Testament the book of Enoch. But that Now, that doesn't mean that the book of Enoch should be in the Bible, but what it does tell us that if we took the time to read this book of Enoch, we might be able to understand Jude better. So... All that to say, in the Jewish tradition, the idea that a star predicting the birth of a person who is going to change the status quo is actually not new to them. That's something that they would actually have. In fact, tell me if this story sounds familiar. There's a bunch of astrologers who tell a king that a person has been born based off of a star that they saw, and the king, fearing that this person would eventually overthrow him, uh, orders the killing of all the male babies. Does that story sound familiar to anybody? Now, if you're thinking, well, yes, of course that sounds familiar. That's literally what the story we're talking about today. Well, I'm going to tell you what I just told you is not the story of the birth of Jesus, but it was the Jewish tradition of the birth of Abraham. You see, you're not going to find that story anywhere in Genesis, but that was something that the Jews actually had as a common belief, just like how we have this common belief that there were three wise men. Last week we talked about the shepherds and the angels and um, down in Ainsford, I was teaching down here while Joel was up here, and I talked about there's a connection between the angels' announcement of God's salvation to these shepherds, to, the, to God's announcement of salvation to Abraham way back in Genesis because Abraham was also a shepherd. And in Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that he's going to bless all the nations of the world through him. So if we're an ancient Jewish person and we we understand their Jewish tradition, when we're reading Matthew's gospel, this story should reinforce in us that Jesus is here to fulfill that promise that God gave to Abraham. Jesus is going to be the way that God's going to bless the whole world. Jesus, as Matthew is clearly putting it, Jesus is the new Abraham. But Matthew shows that the events around Jesus' birth isn't just showing that he's linked to Abraham, but also Moses. Uh, Verses 3 through 8 says this. Read along with me. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, Where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, spoiler alert, Herod didn't want to go worship Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for ruining this story for you if you don't know it, but Herod wanted to kill Jesus. That's why he wanted to find out where Jesus was. In fact, Uh, Later on, we're going to read about, if you keep reading through Matthew 2, you read about how Herod makes this decree that every child two and under in Bethlehem in that whole area were to be killed. And now going back to the idea of these Jewish traditions, there's another famous character from the Old Testament whose birth was predicted, though this time not by a star, but the fact that his birth was predicted, it led a king to killing all the male babies and that was Moses. You see, the tradition goes like this, that the wise men of Pharaoh's court predicted that there was going to be a baby born to the Hebrews that would set them free. And so that is why that's what they're, um, that is why Pharaoh in Exodus 1 decrees that all of the male babies should be thrown into the Nile. So not only is this story showing how Jesus's birth is linked to Abraham and the fulfillment of God's promise, but it links him to Moses, and that link between those two people is very important to show how the whole story of the Bible, God's story of uh, story and plan for creation, points to Jesus. We can see this even in the very beginning of the Bible, because in Genesis three, right? That's the big. That's the fall, and after the fall after sin enters in, God predicts, God says that there's going to be somebody coming from the seed of the woman who will crush the snake. And you could say that the whole Bible is this search for this person who will be the snake crusher. And throughout the Old Testament, you know, you have Abraham shows up and he looks like he's a potential snake crusher, but he doesn't quite make it. And then you have Moses, who gets very close to being the snake crusher, but he too fails. Because even Moses, the man that God called friend, the man whose face shone so brightly because he got to see a glimpse of God's glory, the man who did amazing miracles through the power of God, was still a man. Yet he knew that there would be one that would come after him, one that would be greater than he. In the book of Deuteronomy, which is basically Moses giving a speech at the end of his life, right in the middle of the book, in chapter 18, verse 15, it says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now, there have been a lot of prophets in the Old Testament, and some of them even had experiences that get them kind of close to Moses' level, but none of them had that unique intimate relationship that moses had with god that it was until we get to jesus because jesus had a very unique relationship with god because well he was god right of course his relationship is better than the relationship that moses had if there's anybody who's going to be able to take up the mantle of moses and not just take up his mantle but surpass him in every way it would be jesus So when we talk about this story of the wise men, a story that's been so transformed by our cultural traditions that sometimes it doesn't even look like what we read in the Bible, we can miss out on this fact that there's so much more going on than what our cultural traditions tell us. I mean, the whole book of Matthew really is designed to show how Jesus is the true Israelite that has come. Not only is his birth connected to both Abraham and Moses, major Israelite leaders. But he is going to flee to Egypt to spend some time there, which, is, which mirrors Abraham going down to Egypt. It also mirrors the whole nation of Israel going into Egypt and being there until God frees them. He's going to be tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, which is a clear allusion to the 40 years that Israel spends in the desert. And, of course, Jesus overcomes his temptations where Israel failed. I mean, even his words during Passover shows how he is the true Passover lamb. And yet with all these clear signs that Jesus has come to fulfill the promise of Abraham and be the new Moses, notice who it is who has come to seek him at his birth. It's the wise men. The Jewish leaders at that time knew everything I just shared with you. The Jewish leaders knew those Jewish traditions. I mean, they were Jewish. They knew this whole idea that, hey, a star and wise men showing up to predict the birth of a king, like that's something that, should, that we know about. That's what we believe happened with Abraham and Moses. And I mean, in fact, it says the Jewish leaders are the ones that tell Herod and the wise men exactly where the Messiah was supposed to be born, that, the, that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. And we know at this time, if we're reading through the New Testament and just even looking back at just historical documents from the time, we know that the nation of Israel was really anticipating the arrival of their Messiah. They were waiting and they were ready for the Messiah to appear. And yet when some astrologers show up and and state that they have seen a sign that signals the birth of a king, instead of being like, oh man, that's just like Abraham, oh that's just like Moses they're like, well, you know what? That's okay. You guys can go check that out. We're going to stay here. Because I think what had happened is that they had become too comfortable in their in their position, too comfortable with their knowledge. Like I get this sense that they almost were a little bit dismissive of these wise men because maybe they thought like, well, if there was this great sign, of course we, the Jewish leaders, would have figured it out not some foreigners that came from some country we don't even know. I mean, one time, Rachel and I were coming back from London on the train, and we actually usually get on the train at Dartford Station because it's actually cheaper to take that than to take Gravesend in. Um, And on the way back, um, that particular night, we were both very tired. Um, I don't know what what we did that day, but I just remember that we were both ready to get back home. And since moving here... We had gone on this route. We had come back and gotten off at Dartford a lot of times before this. Like, we were very confident in our knowledge of knowing when we needed to get off this train. And the problem was that we were a little too confident, which made us a little too comfortable on that train ride. You may have already guessed where this story is going, but there was the train was leaving this one particular station and as it was leaving there was just something bothering me something like like I was just like what's what there's something off and I looked out the window and I instantly recognized the platform that the train was pulling away from and it was Dartford now luckily um, we just got off at the next train station hopped on a train the back the other way but we were so comfortable and we thought we were so confident in knowing when we needed to get off that we totally had missed the actual station we needed to get off at. Like, and think about it, because when you're riding the train back, there is an announcement, like an actual audio announcement that says, the next station is Dartford there's a little sign that has text on it that's scrolling the whole time that says, the next station is Dartford. Like, there was a lot of signs to tell us, hey, we needed to get off at this next station, and we missed all of the signs because we were too comfortable and we were too confident in what we knew. In the same way, this happens to us spiritually all the time. Because have you ever thought of, like, there's a passage or a story that you think, oh, I already know everything about this story. It's so familiar to me that you miss actually something that God's trying to show you through it. When we fall into that trap and we start getting comfortable with what we know, we're prone to miss what God has for us because we serve a God that's not a God of confusion. Even if you just take the stories around Jesus's birth, God is constantly giving signs to let people know That what he says is going to happen is going to happen. I mean, with the birth of John the Baptist, uh, Zechariah, his father, is unable to speak. And him being unable to speak is a sign that his wife, Elizabeth, who shouldn't be able to get pregnant, gets pregnant. And then for Mary, God tells her about Elizabeth's pregnancy and says that's a sign for her to know that she will get pregnant. I mean, the shepherds are given a sign. They're told you will find the baby in cloth lying in a manger. And even these wise men showing up said that they saw the star, a great sign in the skies. God doesn't want us to wander around this life not knowing which way we should go. He gives us clear signs, but you have to be paying attention or else you're going to miss them. These Jewish leaders should have seen these men as a sign that the new Abraham, the new Moses, had come, and they missed it. And here at the end of our passage, Matthew gives us one more sign that Jesus is our true high priest, the person who would come to secure eternal redemption for all mankind. So read verses 9 through 12 with me. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Again, this star shows up, and it literally brings them to the place that they were seeking. Now, a lot has been said or theorized about this star of wonder that shone so bright. Uh, some think that maybe it was this planetary alignment which would have caused a unique you know, sign in the sky. Some people think maybe it was a comet, because of the fact that it moved. I personally think that it was an angel that showed up that God sent to lead them. Because there's another very common view that Jewish people held in the ancient times, and that is that stars were spiritual beings. I mean, we know that this view was also held then because when John in Revelation depicts Satan's rebellion, specifically in chapter 12, verse 4, he says this, his, tw- his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The idea being that Satan brought a third of the angels down with him. And either way, whatever the star could have been, the important thing is that it guided them to Jesus. And when they meet Jesus, they bring him gifts. They give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And now, again, a lot of people have thought of a lot of different things about what these three gifts could have meant. Why did they bring these three specific gifts? I mean, a popular belief is that the gold was the symbol that Jesus is king, like that's his crown. Frankincense, that Jesus is God, because that's often was, that was used when you burned incense in worshiping God. And myrrh, foreshadowing his death, because that's the oil that could be used to perfume the body when it was laid in the tomb. And honestly, I think those are all great interpretations. And I honestly think that Matthew didn't give us the specific reasons so that we would sit and think and meditate on what these gifts could mean. And so for me, when I look at these gifts, as I studied this week, for me, it seemed that these gifts were declaring Jesus as the true high priest. Because you see, the high priest was the person who represented the people of Israel before God. He was the person on the Day of Atonement who would go in bearing the sins of Israel and offer the necessary sacrifice to God and go into the Holy of Holies. And there is another chapter where these three gifts, these three things are listed, and that is Exodus chapter 30. And Exodus chapter 30 is all about Aaron and his sons and how they were going to be prepared as priests. At the beginning of that chapter, it talks about how you're going to make this um, gold incense uh, altar. I mean, it's made out of pure gold, right? That's the first thing you get is, hey, you're going to make a gold altar where you're going to burn incense. Then later on in the chapter, it talks about how Aaron, when he's going to be um, purified, the ritual for him to become the high priest, part of that is he's going to go in and he's going to burn incense on that gold altar, specifically incense made from frankincense. And then he is going to be anointed with an oil, an oil that is made mostly of myrrh. Jesus was born to become the ultimate high priest. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12 tells us this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus is the true high priest that has made atonement once and for all for all of us. The good news of Christmas, the good news of this story is that Jesus has brought eternal redemption to us. He came so that he could unite men and God. Jesus brings the blessing of Abraham. Jesus succeeds where Moses fails. Jesus allows us to approach God. And what we see from this story is that Jesus wasn't some kind of hidden treasure. Jesus wasn't a secret. His birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection are all like big signs that show us that we should be seeking Jesus. We should be seeking after him. They act like a star that guides us to God's perfect light. So what? So why study all this? Well, it always amazes me, like I said, that these guys from some other country who are not Jewish We're able to figure out these things that even the greatest Jewish scholars at the time seem to have missed. Yet, like I said, doesn't that happen all the time today? We get so comfortable with what we think we know. We get so caught up in our cultural traditions and values that we can miss a star that is shining brighter than anything else. A star that should be something that no one should miss. But it is almost because of how much we think we know that we can often miss these signs that God puts in front of our faces. Let's hope that this Christmas we take the time to see Christ for who he is, our high priest who bore our sins so that we could be redeemed. Let us also be careful not to miss what God is trying to show us because we are too confident and we are too comfortable in our current situation. Let's be like the wise men, and let's diligently seek to find Jesus. So two questions to leave you with. Are you too comfortable with your cultural traditions and knowledge that you are missing the signs God is putting in your life? And who are you seeking? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much that you sent your Son. Thank you so much that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these promises that we read. He's the fulfillment of the way that you're going to bless all the nations. He's the fulfillment of the better prophet that Moses said would be coming. He's the true high priest who can once and for all enter the Holy of Holies only once and redeem us of all of our sins. That as it says in Hebrews, he can sit down after he has done his work because his work is done. God, I pray that this Christmas, in the middle of all the busyness, in the middle of all the things that are going on, in the middle of whether we're having family over or friends and if we're making meals or uh, trying to do carol services or the candlelight service or whatever, all that stuff, I pray that we don't get so caught up in everything that's going on around us that we miss the clear signs you put in our lives. God, I pray that we never get so comfortable in our current situation, so comfortable with what we think we know, that we fail to miss what you're trying to show us. God, thank you so much for being patient with us. Thank you so much that you are not a God of confusion. In your name, amen.